You're listening to KZOM, Oleander Public Radio. Section 22. The Reader's Corner, a meeting place for readers of astounding stories. Part 1. The author explains. Dear Editor, I'm very much puzzled by the several apparent mistakes in two of the stories in the April issue of Astounding Stories. In The World Between the Moon, Mr. Ernst makes an error so obvious that it almost makes me believe that it isn't an error. Like doing a math problem and finding it so easy that you're sure you have done it wrong. Anyway, here's my problem. This is taken verbatim from the story. At 2,000 miles from the Earth, there still had been enough hydrogen traces in the ether to give purchase to the explosions of their water motor. Does the author mean to say that the explosions of the tubes have to have something to push against to have any action? A. Has it not been proven actually and mathematically that the explosion of rockets and expanding gases are even more powerful in space? The spaceship in this story was equipped with both bow and stern tubes. Why not fire them to slow the ship down instead of waiting to run into some resistance? B. Also, when they landed, they took some air guns, which shot bullets containing a liquid which exploded when heated by the passage of a shell through the barrel. Then the author goes ahead and tells us that the planet was about as hot as the tropics. Such heat would explode the bullets, but it didn't. Why? Mr. Ernst has his heroes do a lot of running around on that little planet. C. Since the planet is smaller than the moon, it hasn't much gravity and therefore can't retain a very heavy atmosphere, or one very thick. Anyone doing all that violent exercise would probably die of exhaustion before many minutes of it. Four Miles Within was a good story, but I am unable to understand why they did not find a lot of stagnant air. Air that had lain stagnant for the time that the cavern must have been closed would have killed the person who breathed it. Also, I would imagine that it wouldn't be safe to handle a chunk of radium like the characters in the story did. It's liable to burn. However, it probably wasn't pure radium, just pitch-blend-bearing rocks. The rest of the stories were fine. I especially liked the story of the Special Patrol Service, which S.P. Wright has created. Let's have some more stories of Commander John Hansen and his crew. The Exile of Time has started off quite well, and I look forward to the next installments. Cummings is always good for a batch of thrills and some swell adventure, to say nothing of the enjoyable way he introduces science into his stories. Wish you would publish this, as I would like to get in touch with some other science fiction fans. By the way... Some of the readers seem to want the mag changed, but don't you do a thing to it. All the suggestions, if followed, would make our mag like the other SF mags on the market. And I read Astounding Stories because it's different. And I mean every one of those capitals. Ben Smith, Box 444, Billings, Montana. Mr. Ernst answers. A. No, it has not been actually proved. It has been indicated mathematically, by formulae based on conjecture, but never actually solved, for the very good reason that it is impossible to reproduce spatial conditions in earthly laboratories. Know how an explosive force would react in space? We don't even know positively what space is, let alone how our chemicals and instruments would behave in it. The majority theory is that explosives charge would propel a rocket or spaceship more effectively in the theoretical emptiness of space than in our atmosphere. But to my mind, it is quite possible that an explosion, a violent expansion of gases causing rapid increase of pressures, would be ineffectual where there are no pressures to be increased. Might not the violently expanding gases fly forth from an exhaust vent to expand instantly, frictionlessly and impotently, to the ends of the universe? 
In my story, The World Behind the Moon, I assumed that it would occur, and no man living is in a position positively to disprove it. And as a corollary, if a propulsion explosion cannot have effect in empty space, as presumed in the story, the spaceship must enter atmosphere before it can stop by firing its bow tubes. Otherwise, when the bow tubes shooting their expanding gases futilely into nothingness, you could go into reverse till the cows come home, and the ship would hurtle forward just the same. B. Friction of a bullet through a rifle barrel produces a temperature considerably higher than tropical. C. Again, no one knows spatial or planetary conditions. It seems reasonable to assume that a planet's mass must have a fairly direct bearing on the density of its atmosphere. However, Venus, a smaller globe than Earth, is supposed to have a denser atmosphere. For all we know, to the contrary, meteors no larger than pebbles may carry about with them microscopic films of atmospheres of varying densities. Paul Ernst Hitting Our Stride Dear Editor, The more I read Astounding Stories, the more I like it. You're just getting your stride this the second year. But why not foresee the demand of your readers and have a few stories by R.F. Starzl? You have other top-notchers, such as Ray Cummings, Murray Leinster, and Tom Curry is another good writer. Monsters of Mars would have been better if it were boiled down to about two-thirds as many pages. It reads, stretched. W.P. O'Toole, Parker, South Dakota. This Missile. Dear Editor, congratulations. Your magazine, excuse me, our magazine, is going over big. However, there are a few things I would like to suggest. First, why not take a vote on the quarterly idea? Second, give us more stories and illustrations. Increase the price if you have to, but keep up the good work and I'm your steady buyer. So far, I have not missed a copy, and my only regret is that I didn't have sense enough to keep the first six or seven instead of throwing them away. By the way, didn't I notice a rather heated argument going on in the reader's corner about reprints? And what is the matter with reprints? Nothing, except that they are reprints. That is hardly an argument. But if you value my monthly 20 cents, please give us at least one reprint to a volume, which I see comprises three copies of your, pardon, our magazine. If the rest of the readers acquiesce, I think we ought to have a reprint in the near future. If they object, well, the world will roll on. Your time is precious, and besides, there are more readers waiting to say the same things I have just said. So I will close this missile, er, missive. Eugene Benefiel, The Pioneer, Tuscan, Arizona. From the Antipodes, Dear Editor, As a regular reader of your magazine, Astounding Stories, I thought I would write and tell you how I appreciate the stories contained in it. I am a heavy reader and have always had a soft spot for stories unusual and bizarre. Until I happened to see your magazine at a bookshop in Perth, I had to be content with occasional science fiction stories by Wells, Burroughs, and a few others, which I picked up in my browsing in various bookshops and libraries. Now that I get Astounding Stories regularly, I have a monthly feast of good things that I read and reread until the next issue arrives. You ask us readers to criticize the magazine. Well, I have no complaints worth mentioning, except that some of the illustrations do not tally sufficiently with the text of the story. Some of the stories, in my opinion, are weak and not worth reading. But as tastes differ, I take everything as it is, and say you have a first-class publication. Will you thank your authors for me for the very many hours of interesting reading that they have given me during the past 12 months? Later, I intend to get my astounding stories bound in cloth covers, each 12-month issue in a volume. If any reader sees this letter, of course should you think it worthwhile to publish it, and can spare the time to write to me here in Australia, I would be very grateful. Perhaps we could exchange snapshots of various places of interest. 
Every part of America interests me, so a reader need not back out because he thinks his district will be not interesting enough. Here's hoping Astounding Stories grows and prospers as the years go by, so as to give more entertainment to me and my fellow readers. A rather selfish wish, you may think, but you will forgive me when I say that I look forward with great pleasure to each month's issue. Claude J. Nanley, 65 Forest Street, Mount Lawley, Western Australia. Note to Ray Cummings. Dear Editor, I have just started Ray Cummings' latest story in the April issue. Although I wish Cummings would lay off this type of story, I am willing to read anything by him. Jack Williamson's The Lake of Light ranked second in this issue. He is another merit. The Ghost World by S.P. Wright came third. Edmund Hamilton was better than he has been of late. If anyone wants to read Through the Dragon Glass, The Girl in the Golden Atom, etc., and writes to me, I will tell him where they can be obtained. This is not an attempt at free advertising. I know several places where it is possible to secure works of this kind, and will be glad to assist anyone who doesn't. Cummings brought me to your magazine. He is keeping me there, so hold on to him. But please tell him to forget all about time and probe the mysteries of the infinitely large and small, of interplanetary space, of future civilizations, and future warfare. Dale Mullen, 611 West 5th, Topeka, Kansas. The Effects of Cannabis Dear Editor, I have sold magazines, written for magazines, and now that I have just concluded your April issue, I am editing one for myself. Specifically one story, Four Miles Within, Inside a radium mine, chased by a meboid body, a hoe. Several years ago, when I was a clinical chemist in hospital service, there went an genologist, also a young chap, and a surgical nurse, and myself were so badly burned with three grains of the substance enclosed in a lead capsule that we were crippled for nearly a month. No fair, your experience with was pure radium. It was only radium ore in the story. Imagine being four miles inside the earth exposed to radium ore. And chased and pursued by a giant amoeba? A hoe. That must have been my pet mother of a vinegar that escaped. She was hard to herd. She took after my dad's pet fish, which fell through a crack in a bridge and was drowned. In passing, it is interesting to note that persons can vanish into a plane surface, say, into a fifth dimension. My instructor in trig must have been all wet. And Dr. Bird catches a man withdrawing menthium from human brains with a needle? without the use of either x-ray or trephine, and then low forms of life such as crabs and alligators with very highly developed scientific knowledge. A few issues ago, octopi were in the lead. And those spaceships. Mars must be an interesting spot. And those Martians. Sometimes they are ant-like and other times worms, and again human freaks. I still prefer the silver-green messenger I saw on this stage 20 years ago. He was a gentleman and a scholar, and no one has yet approved upon him. And those radio waves that can vibrate matter in a straight line? One Jackson Gee vibrates it in two straight lines. Rather funny at that. And people disappear into an atom by taking pellets? They take the pellets into their system, and that shrinks or expands them. How does the author calculate that in Beyond the Vanishing Point? The pellets must contain cannabis indica, hashish, I guess. Once upon a time, I was suffering from an acute attack of colic and was obliged to use an antispasmodic. I took cannabis, and in the delirium that followed, I shrunk small enough to walk into a mouse hole into which I had seen a mouse disappear a few hours previous. The mouse was there and looked like an elephant. I awoke in a sweat. Maybe all your stories won't be weird and full of monstrosities, 
Science is full of beauty and culture, you know. Arthur H. Carrington, Seaside Heights Pharmacy, Seaside Heights, New Jersey. Like some to seem real. Dear Editor, I've been reading Astounding Stories since the November issue, and I think that, on the whole, it is a very good magazine. It is of handy size, convenient price, and okay, except that you might cut the edges of the pages smoother. Wesso is an excellent artist. I think your best authors are Harl Vincent, Ray Cummings, and Captain S.P. Meek. I like Captain Meek's Dr. Bird stories immensely. Also among your best authors are Charles W. Diffin and Murray Leinster. And now about the stories themselves. I've noticed that quite a few in the readers' corners are all for fiction and no scientific explanation. I like fiction too, but anybody can make up a pretty good plot about a girl, a lover, and a villain, and have a wild theory of super science for a basis, and then not explain it. What I like most is when an author who uses such theory as, for instance, making matter invisible by bathing it with a ray the color of which is beyond the range of the spectrum, as in Terrors Unseen, by Harl Vincent, backs up his idea with a clear explanation and makes it plausible and convincing. It makes his tale seem more possible, and hence more real. I like it much better when the writer doesn't even suggest a theory in his plot, to say nothing of trying to prove it, than when he gives you the invention of a professor in the year 2431 and lets you imagine how and why it works. T. Caldwell, 912 Moreno Road, Santa Barbara, California. Heroes Too Heroic? Dear Editor, I wrote you a letter last month, I'm writing you a letter this month, and I will write you a letter next month. In fact, I'm going to write you a letter every month just as soon as I finish the latest issue of Astounding Stories, so you might as well have a special department installed in Astounding Stories right away entitled Letters from the Sap Who Thinks He Is So Smart, or something else equally appropriate. Have you ever noticed that 99% of Edmund Hamilton's stories have the same plot as Monsters of Mars? The plot I mean is this. A group of men, preferably three, get into enemy territory. As to the enemy, if the enemy are not lizards or some other repulsive form of life, Mr. Hamilton has them wear repulsive clothes, live in ugly buildings, etc., to make the reader dislike them at the start. An old, old idea, and quite a commonly used one, is to have these creatures about to declare war and conquer the hero's country with the enemy's superweapons, and after capturing our brave, bold, and heroic heroes, proceed to tell the heroes the way the weapons work, the zero hour set for attack, and the line of march of the enemy's armies, as if prisoners are told all of these things. Our heroes then cleverly escape and grab an enemy machine. About 2,000 of the enemies close in to kill them, but... Mr. Hamilton simply loves butts. Our brave heroes glance over the strange controls of the captured craft and without hesitation pick out the right levers and hold the enemy at bay. After annihilating most of them, and after the zero hour has come, the heroes prevent the great invasion and return to their native land. It is interesting to note that heroes, though greatly outnumbered and with strange weapons, always down many of the enemy while they themselves escape unscathed. Also, Mr. Hamilton loves narrow escapes, and phrases such as these appear frequently in his stories. But even as he raised his deadly ray tube, I leaped and knocked it from his hand. They charged, but I was too quick, and dodged as the foremost hurtled at me. These incidents are supposed to get the reader all excited, but after a while they grow monotonous. The second story in the April issue, The Exile of Time, promises to be excellent in every way. It would be interesting if George Rankin, 
in his time traveling should witness the signing of the Declaration of Independence, or the Battle of Bunker Hill. Four miles within was good also, save that the heroes escaped from being marooned, and James Quaid's death savored unpleasantly of Edmund Hamilton. Sewell Peasley Wright's adventures of the Space Patrol are always fascinating, and The Ghost World is a splendid example of this. On the whole, your magazine is practically perfect. Robert Baldwin, 359 Hazel Avenue, Highland Park, Illinois. Likes them to seem real. Dear Editor, I've been reading Astounding Stories since the November issue, and I think that, on the whole, it is a very good magazine. It is of handy size, convenient price, and okay, except that you might cut the edges of the pages smoother. Wesso is an excellent artist. I think your best authors are Harl Vinson, Ray Cummings, and Captain S.P. Meek. I like Captain Meek's Dr. Bird stories immensely. Also among your best authors are Charles W. Diffin and Murray Leinster. And now about the stories themselves. I've noticed that quite a few in the reader's corners are all for fiction with no scientific explanation. I like fiction too, but anybody can make up a pretty good plot about a girl, a lover, and a villain, and a wild theory of super science for a basis and then not explain it. What I like most is when an author who uses such a theory as, for instance, making matter invisible by bathing it with a ray the color of which is beyond the range of the spectrum, as in Terrors Unseen, by Harl Vincent, backs up this idea with a clear explanation and makes it plausible and convincing. It makes this tale seem more possible and hence more real. I like it much better when the writer doesn't even suggest a theory in his plot, to say nothing of trying to prove it. Then, when he gives you the invention of a professor in the year 2431, and lets you imagine how and why it works. T. Caldwell, 912 Marino Street, Santa Barbara, California. End of section 22.